going? We got it? Okay, there we go. All right, now we're going. I was feeling so ignored, but you guys just couldn't hear me, so that's fine. That's all right. Hey, uh, we don't need to preach. I, I feel like I could just let you guys keep going, and, and you could preach to me what it is to be a loving community, because it's so good to be in a community that loves each other. That is our sermon series uh, continuation today. We're doing this series on emotional maturity. Um, so the reminded that the Bible is not like other books. You know, you can come to the Bible. I, I've been looking at this thing since I was 14 years old. I don't really want to do the math uh, to, to figure out how many years that has been. That's been quite some years ago. It's well over 20. Yeah, 20, 24 years, something like that. I did the math anyway, I guess. Uh, and, you know, I, I come to passages like this, and I, I'm just shocked that I see things that I've never seen before. And the Bible is not like other books. Now, maybe, maybe if I read other books over and over again and meditated on them and prayed about them and asked God to speak to me through them, maybe, maybe I would have that experience with other books. But, but I j- I'm, not, I'm not quite sure that other books just have the same weight. They don't have the same authority. They don't have the same inspiration that the Bible has. I come back to the Bible after studying it for 24 years, and I think, have I ever read this thing? Have I... I miss this. This is so new. And in, in the best ways, in the best ways and in the most like confounding and frustrating ways. It's like a both end, right? Like I come back to the scriptures and I come back to it and, and God speaks something new. And so we really want to always kind of look back, always look back at the scriptures. And I hope that whatever I say today, that you will take what I say and you will weigh it against the counsel of all of scripture. Say, so does that make sense? Is that real? But here's the good news that the scriptures have for us today. The good news that the scriptures have for us today is that there is a treatment for this thing that we call anxiety. And I want to be careful here. I am not a psychologist. I'm not a clinical counselor. I don't do mental health services. I'm not a mental health professional. I am in no way qualified to diagnose anyone with any kind of a mental health condition or prescribe any kind of a treatment for any kind of a mental health, uh, uh, you know, medication, uh, you know, diagnosis, all that stuff. Uh, And what I'm saying, I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. I'm just saying that that's not my lane. I don't belong there. That's not... That's not my job. That's not who I am. My job is that I'm supposed to be uh, a friend, first of all, to you all, a brother uh, to you uh, as someone who is trying to follow Jesus. And I get to take a lot of time to think and pray about the scriptures and try to tell you things that are true and inspiring and, and try to get us coordinated and working together on living out what these things say. And, uh, The good news, though, that I think that God wants us to hear in this scripture is that there is a treatment for anxiety. There is a treatment that churches and families and maybe even individual people can afford. It is, and it is actually quite available, uh, especially if you know in God who is love, then it it is available and there is an endless supply of it. And the treatment for anxiety, for the anxiousness, for the fear, for all the things and all the problems that are caused by fear in our world, the the treatment for that anxiety is love. And I've been listening to this podcast lately. Uh, I I love 
a good podcast, and I know that we've got a lot of podcasters in this, in this community. You guys are always telling me, oh, I was listening to this, I was listening to Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, or I was listening to You Have Permission, or The, the Ferment, or you know, whatever. You, you, you guys are big on the podcast, that's great. And I, I want to recommend to you one called Managing Leadership Anxiety. It's by a guy named Steve Cuss, Managing Leadership Anxiety, and it's got some really good stuff. It's got some really good stuff about how to just deal with anxiety because anxiety isn't something that's going to go away tomorrow, right? You're not going to wake up tomorrow and just be at peace for the rest of your life. Anxiety is going to ebb and flow and be a part of your existence as long as you're here on earth. Uh, but, you know, anxiety is, is really, it's fear, right? That's what it is, right? And so when the scripture says perfect love casts out fear or perfect love dispels fear it drives it away it destroys it 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 sends it packing it it uh, it it pushes it out it gets rid of it perfect love gets out fear you could maybe i think without doing violence to the scriptures replace that word fear with anxiety and receive some good news and one thing that, uh, that Steve does on his podcast, he always asks people the same uh, series of questions. And he always likes to kind of finish by asking, uh, you know, can you tell me a time when you've uh, felt most fully loved? And people give their stories and they tell, they tell stories. Most of the stories that people tell, I think it's interesting that uh, people tell their experience of feeling loved as feeling loved in a community. Uh, it's, it's, usually, it's usually with at least one other person. It's hard to feel loved by yourself. Um, most, people, most people experience love and they experience the love of God uh, with others in, in a community. And that's actually, I think, God's design. I think that's how it's supposed to work. And that importance of community and that practice of love within a loving, accepting, caring community, that fixes anxiety, that drives it out, that pushes it away. And I'm not saying it's the same as treatments, and if you're on anxiety medication, God bless you, I'm so glad you have that available to you, that's wonderful, I'm not trying to say don't do any of that, I, God bless it, and that's good. I, I'm thankful that mental health professionals and drugs and all good stuff that, that helps people is available, and, and please don't take me as saying anything uh, too critical of any of that, but I am saying that we can be a helpful presence to a world that is full of anxiety. We actually have something to give others who are experiencing all the stress and all the pain and all the mental anguish of anxiety. And we're not going to hurt anybody who's on medication by loving them and by accepting them and by being a non-anxious presence in their life that this can be a community that extends love and care to others. And that something as simple as a, as a wee little church in a weird little factory in downtown Springfield, Missouri, can actually have a dramatic impact on the life and well-being of people in our city when they experience real and sincere love. It is actually the most powerful and has the least side effects thing to deal with anxiety is the experience of being loved in a community. That is so important for everyone's mental health and well-being. And it is an important part 
of experiencing growth and maturity and being able to give it away uh, is one of the best things that we can do to become emotionally mature people. And so perfect love casts out anxiety. It destroys it. And we have this weapon in our arsenal. We have this. We receive it from God in worship. We receive it from God when we hug and, and, and fist bump each other and, and wave at each other from across the room because we don't want to touch hands or whatever. When we're in community, when we gather together to worship God, enjoying his love for us and giving some of that love back to him. And that is good news. I do want to say some more things to define what I mean by a love that is mature, a love that is grown up, that is real, and that is, uh, well, rooted in the scriptures and rooted in the story of God. The first thing I want to say is probably the most challenging, and that is that, that love that's mature, love that looks like Jesus, love that comes from God, is a love that is sacrificial. It is a love that costs something. Love is not really a, a reaction emoji, right? Love isn't a feeling that you have about some food you really enjoy. I want to tell you this morning that I love Kingdom Coffee burritos. I love them. They're delicious. I like them very much. They make my stomach very happy. They're bacon and peppery and cheesy, and I dip them in salsa, and I drink them with a real fancy coffee, and it, it blows my mind. That is a really pleasurable experience for, that, for me. I really enjoy that. I love those burritos that they have at that little coffee shop over there. I'm a, a little bit addicted to them in maybe an unhealthy way. I might be having kind of a, a counterfeit spiritual experience when I'm enjoying my burrito. I love those burritos. Very much. I love them $5 at a time. I'm willing to sacrifice five of my dollars in order to receive the love that, uh, uh, the loving, you know, warm embrace of those burritos, right? It's worth something to me to get a burrito, right? It's worth something to me to have that experience. And, you know, if, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't pay $5 for it. If I didn't love it, if I didn't consider it valuable, I wouldn't give anything to receive that burrito. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't participate in supporting the business that, that makes that burrito. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be interested in, in parting with my money if I didn't think that that was important. And so I am willing to make a sacrifice of $5 at a time to eat a delicious burrito. And I think it's worth noting that when you love something, you're willing to give something up to gain it. You're willing to lay something down. You're willing to say no to something so that you can say, some, say yes to something greater. You're willing to say no to some material possessions. You're willing to say no to some free time. You're willing to say no to other pursuits and other interests you're willing to say no to some things so that you can say yes to something that you really love, that you really value, that's really important to you. And when I look around this room, I see a lot of people who have given a lot. I see a lot of people who have given much to the life of this community, who love God, 
freely with their time, with their calendar, with their bank account, with their emotional and mental energy, and with, uh, with real action. And I see that. I see that sacrifice. I see that offering of love. I see that response to the sacrifice on our behalf. I see that way that you engage and that you give to God and that you love God with the whole of your being, from everything to your checkbook, to your time, to your, to your, to your heart and to your, your very soul. And I see the ways that this community loves God and loves each other. And I just want to say good job and keep going. You know, those of us who've been part of this community for a long time, we know that real community, a community that will last in a time of trouble, a community that will be there for you when you run into, when you run into pain, when you run into struggle, a community that doesn't give up when it's hard, that that community is not uh, something that comes easy. It is hard won. It is something that requires work and energy and effort. And I see so many people and I'm so grateful for so many people who have, uh, who have given to the life of the community, who have really put the work in, who have sacrificed, who have made God a priority in their life and who have made the life uh, in God um, and in this community a priority in their life. And uh, I am grateful. I'm grateful to be a part of something like this. I'm grateful to, to have received um, and to have given and to just be on this journey with you. It's really something to behold and it's wonderful. But, but the love of God is not, it's not cheap. It's not like burritos. You know, one thing, I'll just say this. I wanted to say one more thing about burritos. Uh, this morning, I love burritos a little too much. Um, I, I was really kind of, you know, I knew kind of some of the things I felt like God wanted me to say, and I was like, I'm always kind of trying to do a better job of, uh, you know, being at least a little bit funny or at least a little bit entertaining. That's not really my strength, you know. Like, Kara's awesome at that. And she's always like, you need to grow. And I'm like, you're right, I do. She, you're not wrong. I'm working on it. And so this, but this morning, I, uh, I love my stomach. I, I went and I, was, I, I came and I parked and I thought, you know what, I'm going to walk because I don't want to get caught in the marathon traffic. And uh, I was walking over and I thought, well, actually, you know, it's right about time. I got down here a little later than I meant to. I meant to get down here about 7. I got down here about 7.30 and we have a friend who was running the marathon. I thought, you know, she'll probably be towards the front and, and I want to cheer her on, so I'll just stop here and cheer for a minute. And I felt like, I, I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me while I was waiting. I felt like God said, you should go get the signs now. Uh, because I, I wanted people to be able to see the signs to the church as they were as they were running by on College Street over there, and so I'm standing there and I'm waiting for my friend. I see the friend, I'm like, hey, yeah, good job, good job, and I think, you know, I should go get the signs now because more and more people are going to be coming. And I thought, no, nah, I'll go get a burrito first. And so I did. It was lame. I was lame. I I I ignored the Holy Spirit and I went and I got my burrito first. And uh, I was sitting there, and, and then I started to feel like, I'm, I'm missing it. I'm missing the opportunity. I'm not, I'm not really being obedient to Jesus. I've, I've got my priorities out of order. And so I'm like, quick, quick, scarfing the burrito. I'm walking back over, and I'm seeing, here comes like the, the, the majority of the crowd, right? Like the, the, main, the main group of people that are all kind of running, 
you know, the average, the, the middle of the bell curve of the people who are running the marathon is like going by. And I'm like dodging and like hoofing it, you know, trying to get over here to get the signs. And I get the signs and I go over and I find, I get the signs. I caught like the tail end. I caught the people who, you know, I need to walk a little bit. You know, I kind of caught like the tail end of the crowd of people because I love my stomach more than I love the mission. Love is sacrificial. Mature love is anyway. And mature love has its priorities straight and values the right things in the right order. And if we get things backwards, then, well, it might not be all bad, but we might miss something. We might not uh, get as many people to see our silly little church sign. Or we might not have as rich of an experience of God as we hope for. We might, we might be held back if we want to hold on to things that God uh, is inviting us to let go of. But here's what I know about our God. Here's what I know about this God who didn't even spare his son. is that he's really good and he really loves us. And if he asks us to give something up, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. And, and we'll be better for having obeyed. We'll be better for having let it go. That thing that we're clinging to, that idol, that, that little thing that we're tempted to give more worth than to God, uh, it, it's hurting us. It's not helping us. And so maybe the Lord might be stirring some things in your heart this morning that you know you need to give up. I want to invite you to come forward for prayer at the end of the service. No one's going to judge you or no, just the person you're talking to, and they'll be, they'll be cool. They'll, they'll keep it confidential. But let's do business with God about that, and let's make sacrifices, and let's, let's, let's make sure that the right priorities are the right priorities. Okay, I need to move a little faster. Uh, you know, the love of God, the thing I also notice in this, in this passage is that the love of God is incarnate. It's tangible. It's flesh and blood, Right? Uh, verse 17 says something like, the way that we know that the Spirit is in us, the way that we know that love is made complete is that we are like Jesus in this world. So it's not just something that we think about, right? It's not just something that uh, l- real love is, is backed up by actions. It's, it's, a, it's something that takes root deep in our emotional life it's, it's in the core of our motivation. The things that we really love will become evident. And if we really love our neighbors, then we will be driven to be patient with them. We will be driven to overcome our social anxiety with them. when we don't want to be kind, that are patient when we don't want to be patient, that are from a place of integrity, that are brave when we don't want to be brave, that are confrontational and truth-telling from a compassionate stance rather than uh, cowardly and nice in a way that doesn't really uh, give people everything that we have received, everything that we have been given, the love that has been poured out on us by Jesus Christ, if it is deep inside us, if it has taken root, 
if it is physically manifest in our bodies when we pray and we receive the Holy Spirit, then it has to come out in real ways. It has to have flesh and blood on it. It has to have sweat and stink on it. It has to have action and words. And it will come out of us in real places. It will be tangible. There will be physical evidence of our love if it is real and if it is mature. And if that seed of the gospel has taken root, then it will not stay underground. If it is fed with water and sunlight, if it grows, it will spring forth and the fruit will be born. And if that fruit is missing, if the love is not incarnate, then my words to you today are not shame because uh, my words to you are not, are not guilt. That's not, that's not my hope for you. That's not God's word to you. That's not the invitation this morning to feel bad about yourself if you don't see the evidence of love in your life that you want. If you don't see the evidence of God's love flowing through you to your family or to your neighbors or to your co-workers in the ways that you read about in Scripture and in the ways that you hope for when you get honest and are really, are really truthful with God, if you want to see more fruit in your life, the invitation is not to shame. The invitation is not to anxiety. The invitation is not to guilt or to more fear. The invitation is to receive God's love. The invitation is to let Him fill you with His Spirit once again, to cry out to Him, to say what's true, to say, God, I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. I haven't loved you with my whole heart. And to receive God's forgiveness, to still be welcome at the table, to still receive and to participate in the life of the Holy Spirit filling you up so that you can be like Jesus in this world. When you're at home with your family, when you're at school with your classmates, when you're online video game with people you're chatting with, in your social media interactions, when you're with your boyfriend or girlfriend, when you're, uh, when you're at work, God wants to flow through you with love to those people that are around you. And if you aren't experiencing the love that he has for you yourself, you will have nothing to give. The invitation this morning is to receive more love so that it can flow through you, so that you can be overcome with compassion, so you can get beyond and outside of yourself to have something to give to those people. And so I would invite you, if you're not seeing the incarnate ministry in your own life to really receive that. And here's, here's maybe one measure. Here's one way to kind of gauge this. When's the last time you laid hands and prayed, on, prayed for somebody? Maybe outside of this church, right? Like maybe sometimes we're good at it in the church, and that's great. Uh, and I, that's, I'm not saying that's bad. Like I, I need and want a lot more of that. Because uh, that gives me confidence to go and go and give it away. But if the answer is never, or maybe a long time, can I just can I just confess? I feel like God uh, has really been calling me to repentance in this area, and I feel like uh, I have a history. I just need to confess. I have a history of being a bit dishonest with you all about how proficient I am 
at praying for people uh, who aren't part of this church. Can I, just, can I just tell you that I'm often a coward? That most of the time I'm a chicken? That most of the time I choke? Like for every one story that I perform up here, for every one inspiring tale that I have for you, that I've prayed for somebody, uh, and either you know, a miracle happened or it didn't, I've got 10 times that I was a total, <laughs> total chicken and I totally just didn't go for it, that I didn't do it. Can I just tell you that uh, I, this is something I very much need to grow in and I, just, I feel the heart of God stirring me again to try again, to just be honest with God about my failures, to be honest with you about the ways that I prioritize my own comfort that I give in to anxiety and that I am lacking in love. And so I'm lacking in action and I'm lacking in courage. But I think that God's invitation to me, and I think maybe if God's stirring me, maybe he's stirring some more of us too, is to lay those things aside, to just tell God the truth and say, God, I don't do that. I don't do that like I want to. I don't, I don't feel free to do that the way that I want to feel free to do that. A lot of times I'm just scared. A lot of times I'm just anxious. I need your perfect love to cast that out of me. I need your perfect love to compel me to risk. Uh, Brian Blout, who's a vineyard pastor of not a really very big church. It's maybe a, it's a little larger than ours, but it's not huge. He uh, this guy has a lot of cool power stories. I'd encourage you to follow him on social media. Brian Blount is his name. Another guy named Clay Harrington uh, is really, really great to follow on social media. They're both friends with me on Facebook. So if you're friends with me on Facebook, you can search my friends and find Clay Harrington and Brian Blount. But uh, Brian Blount, uh, he, he gives a little spin on, on a Wimberism. So if you, you've been part of this church for a while, you know John Wimber is a big influential Person. If you can check out the conference material, uh, the, the conference that was a couple weeks ago, a lot of that live stream stuff is still available. You can watch some old John Wimber videos. We talk about John Wimber a lot. You can like listen to him speak. He's a lot funnier than I am, uh, and I really encourage you to listen to him. Uh, but Brian Blount, he, he has a spin on, on uh, something that Wimber said. That he, Wimber used to say that faith is a four-letter word. I spell it R-I-S-K. Right? So... You know, there's a faith. If you're going to trust God, you actually have to take risks. You have to pray for people and not know if they're going to get healed or not. And you might look silly. Right? But Brian Blount, he takes a spin on that. He says the other four-letter word that, that is faith is, he says that faith is a four-letter word, and I spell it L-O-V-E. And then I think sometimes we get so hyped up, we get so wrapped up in, am I going to fail or succeed? Is it going to be a risk? Am I, am I really stepping out? We get a little macho about it, and, and it's maybe, or maybe I'm just talking to myself, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm the only one who's trying to be macho about it. But we forget that it's really about love, right? We forget that love should be the motivation that compels us. If our love is perfect for our neighbor, it will compel us to get over our anxiety. It will compel us to get over our fear and be sincere and from a place of really wanting to care for people as we pray for them. And then finally, I'll just say this, that love is mutual. Love that's mature is not one-sided. Now, I think the exception is when we talk about God loving us, right? That is pretty one-sided, right? 
And, and that's a different kind of relationship, right? Like uh, God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. We are frail human beings who might be lucky if we live 100 years. God is way older than that. Uh, in fact, he invented time. So like that relationship really is one way. And we see that in this, in this passage, right? It's not that we love God, it's that God loved us. He's the source and creator of love, and so that love is very one way. We give him a little bit back, right? We give him, we give him a little bit of our treasure. We give him a little bit of our time and attention. Uh, we give him a little bit of our heart. But God gave everything. God gave his son. God gave himself. God gives everything to us. And that love is far greater, and it's, it's where we find the strength to show up in these relationships with each other, in these mutual relationships, in these give-and-take relationships. Uh, God is the source that we need to draw from in order to really be there in ways that are mutual. But love that is mature uh, happens, happens, happens on the ground. Right? Uh, if, we're, if, we're, if we're loving this way but not this way... Uh, if we're not loving side to side, if we're not loving in a mutual way, if we're not also able to receive as well as give, then we're not mature in our love, right? This can work, this can be challenging. Mutual love actually takes a, a, a great deal of self-awareness and a great deal of maturity. Most people are not comfortable with mutual love. Most people are a lot more comfortable either as a consumer or as a patron. And I just want to kind of define those real quick. So the consumer, if you're more comfortable as a consumer, you're really uncomfortable with giving. You're uncomfortable with being a, a person who has something to give to the relationship. Uh, a lot of people tend to be, uh, can tend to be, and, and we all have moments when, uh, and, and maybe seasons of our life when we just, uh, we don't have, it, we feel like we don't have anything to give. We feel uh, a, a scarcity mentality, uh, we feel anxious about our resources, and so uh, we keep, we hoard, we don't give in relationships. Or we feel like, hey, I'm tapped out, and, I don't, and there's grace for that, there's a place for that. We can be a gracious community, and we can accommodate that uh, for a season. But it's not, it's not good, and it's not healthy, and it's not mature to live there. To live in a relationship where you only receive and don't give uh, that will cause resentment. That will not be sustainable. Uh, if, if you're a friends with a taker, um, you know how exhausting it is. And we have to be people who can give and take. The other problem is if you think of yourself, if you come to the relationship as a patron, you're the, you only give, you don't receive. You're in the position of the generous person. You're the person who uh, is in control, really, is what it's usually about. You know, I'm paying you, and I'm being generous, and I'm giving to you, and I don't really want anything from you. No, that's okay. You don't have to do that. No, I don't, no, I don't need anything. Let me, let me take care of you. You're much more comfortable in the, I'm going to serve you. Uh, this looks like passive aggression a lot. It's a very Midwestern thing. It's very... If I can say it's a very Christian thing, right? Because, you know, we want to be servant-hearted and we want to be, can be dangerous to relationships if we're always only giving and we're only comfortable in that giving position. 
That giving position gives us a sense of authority. It gives us a sense of being in control. It gives us, really, what it gives us is it gives us the ability to pull the plug and say, I'll, I'll stop giving to you when I want to. Thank you very much. And we don't, we're not vulnerable. We're not honest about our needs in the relationship, that we don't, we don't come with any kind of mutual respect. And both of those are problematic and they're immature. They're less than the love that God would have us give to each other. Mature love is mutual. And even Jesus, the risen Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father to judge the living and the dead, even Jesus called his disciples friends. He said that slaves don't know their master's business, and that's why I'm calling you friends. And so the invitation is to receive and to give and to let love be mutual in your life. You know, it's really hard to practice any of these things uh, when you're listening to a podcast. This is why real community is really important. I don't know how you sacrifice by listening to a podcast or to the news or to NPR. This is why real Christian discipleship requires flesh and blood community. You cannot incarnate a sermon video online. You cannot pray for and forgive um, you know, someone who offended you over the internet in the same way that you can by having a real conversation with a real flesh and blood human being. Uh, you can't have a mutual relationship with media. And so I love podcasts. Podcasts are great, but they don't replace the necessary element of real community for Christian discipleship. You cannot do love by yourself in your head. It has to be give and take. It has to be mutual. There have to be conversations. And there has to be real prayer and real interaction with God for us to really be a loving community. And the world needs that. And I try to make my sermons good. I try to make them engaging and relevant and real. But people need y'all to be the flesh and blood. They need you to incarnate. They need you to sacrifice. And they need you to love mutually in their lives. And we need God's help to do that. And I went too long. So let's stand up and pray. Nikki's going to lead us in one last song of worship. And uh, I've kind of already made a few invitations to ministry. Just as we kind of enter this time, I want to take just a second to listen to the Holy Spirit. So would you just pray with me? Holy Spirit, come. God, we welcome you again. And we thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving yourself to us. We thank you for moving into our neighborhood and being with us. God, we need to experience you in a real and tangible way right now so that we will have something to give. And we need to receive from you. A couple things. Uh, if you just haven't received prayer in a long time, 
uh, I would invite you to come forward and just receive prayer. Um, two, uh, you're, you're really thinking of neighbors. You're really thinking of people in your life. You're thinking of people that you work with, uh, maybe a classmate that's really difficult, and uh, you're, you're feeling what it costs to love this person, and you need some help. Uh, God wants to help you. Come forward and get prayer today. Uh, also, just if you want prayer for any reason, just come up and get prayer for today. This is one of the best things that we do. Uh, it, we train people how to do this really well, to listen to God's spirit and to, to speak words of life and healing and all this good stuff. And so uh, if you want prayer, just come stand forward uh, up here in the front. Somebody who's been trained to not be too weird will just come and tap you on the shoulder and they'll ask how they can pray for you and God will do stuff, okay? Let's pray.